You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even Making it back to making data simple. Uh, time is the most precious thing we have, and I appreciate you being here. I hope that make, doesn't make you want to drop off in any stretch. Uh, in fact, you know, we thank you very much. I would hope that uh, if you have any uh, topics or, or items that you'd like to talk about, or if you'd like to be on the podcast, we do have an email you can reach out to, which is almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Today, I am here with Mr. Seth Dobrin. Uh, Seth is CDO, IBM Cloud and Cognitive Software. He happens to have a PhD in molecular and cellular biology. So, Seth, I may have asked this before, but I'm going to ask you again. Does this mean I have to call you Dr. Dobrin? It, it means you can call me whatever you want, explicative. Or... <laughs> oh, well, th that opens up to a wide variety there. I appreciate that. <laughs> Very good. Now, you're, this, this is like your third time, is it not? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think third Maybe fourth. I don't know. You you should know better than I am. It's your podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, put it right back on me. I see. This is this is why I might set bad thoughts. So we go back, head to head. Uh, I think it's your third. The last last time we had you on, I well last time we recorded it may have been in in uh, January when we had you on, but it was last uh, December. So we had a little a little bit of time since the last time we had you on. I think with yep. the the third. Liam, who's one of our producers here, he's listening in. He's always listening in. He keeps things organized. Uh, Liam, I think he's got to get a jacket. It's like the three-timers club. You know, we had two-timers, but the three-timer definitely has a jacket. you got to send him something in the mail. <laughs> anyway, be, all right, so what's that? I said I'll be looking for it. All right, it'll be green. Uh, it'll be one of Tiger's old jackets that uh, we reuse or something. <laughs> all right, hey, look, uh, again, I think it was last December, so there's been a lot of changes uh, in, you know, that short amount of time. And I think, you know, you took on a different role here at IBM, yeah? Yeah, so just recently I took on uh, a slightly different role here at IBM. It's actually the role I was originally hired for. I just uh, got distracted doing some other things around IBM. So what's the role? Can you describe it to us? Yeah, so the role is um, I'm Chief Data Officer for our cloud and cognitive software business, which is basically, I think, everything cloud, software, and Watson, except Watson Health. And my role is, is, is a fewfold. One is to help uh, our business, so cloud and cognitive software inside IBM, leverage data and AI to run our business more effectively and efficiently. Um, I'm also responsible for making sure that we, uh, you know, do a really good job of infusing AI into all our offerings. Um, and I'm responsible for all things talent development uh, when it relates to, to data science and AI within the, the business unit. Nice. So, but the only thing is, I have to tell you that maybe you were doing the, the last job so well, uh, I thought you were all of those before. <laughs> and Yeah, I was doing it for a small part of the business, but I wasn't doing it for the, the larger, larger business. And now that, you know, we kind of inherited or, or grouped together you know, basically a third of IBM. I, I don't have the bandwidth to do, uh, you know, three other things while I'm trying to be CDO for the business. So the one thing that I would say that there would be a change. Oh, so look, I, I consider you Mr. CDO of all of IBM for that matter. So there, there you go. Uh, 
the the one thing I think you did um you know that you did get rid of I don't want to say get rid of but you you you've you've given to somebody else and as you moved on as the data science elite team uh and I felt like you know you've got that set up ready to go helping customers make the transition and up the ladder from from data to AI um you know before we move into cuz you you came on here and that was one of your big um areas that you were leading previously. Can you talk to a little bit about where you left it, what you created, what your experience was, and, and where you landed? Yeah, so about, so I've been at IBM for two and a half years, and, and about 18 months ago, we stood up this team, as you called them, the data science elite team. Um, and this was a team of um, what ended up being close to 100 data scientists, data science engineers, which are data engineers that focus on data science, uh, data scientists who are experts in operations research or decision optimization and some data viz folks. Um, and the, the goal of the team is, is really to, like you said, to help our clients um, figure out how to efficiently and effectively leverage data science and AI in, in their business. Uh, and this primarily focuses around using a few, um, you know, key methodologies. So, so one is design thinking. So how do you identify the use cases um, and the models to deliver those use cases. Uh, the other, the other key part of this is is leveraging agile um, methodology to execute the data science projects. Um, so part of that design thinking workshop is really breaking down each of those models into a series of sprints um, that'll be executed with the client. And and the with the client is a key important part. This is not a consulting activity. This is a teach to fish type activity. Um, and the clients we engage with range from, you know, some clients that are, you know, super experienced and, and you know, very good at, in, in this area, uh, such as, you know, JPMC, which uh, they were on stage with me, I think. Um, uh, and to clients who are just starting to figure out how to get started in the space or build capabilities within their organization. So when we sit with these different types of clients, you know, kind of different levels uh, up the, the, the AI ladder, uh, we focus on, on different things. So if I was to net that out to three different things, you talked about models, use cases, secondly, agile methodology, and three, industry expertise. Is that pretty well a good, yeah. good summary? It's a good summary. Now, if there was, so I think those are three areas, obviously, you rallied behind. The data science elite team, uh, one more question, and that is, you know, we got a lot of clients out there that are trying to create their own data science teams. You know, having done that, having done it in IBM, uh, you know, no different than many of these clients are doing it. If there were three pieces of, of advice or gotchas or whatever, what would you give? What, what would those three pieces of uh, guidance be? Yeah, and in fact, you know, many of our clients, when I talk about this team, say, how the hell did you hire 100 data scientists in, <laughs> in less than a year's time? Right, and, and I think um, there, there's a couple of factors to that. Um, one is, you know, you need to have a real solid strategy. So, they, you know, data scientists, you know, really want to understand how they're contributing to the business, right? How are they contributing to the overall goals of, in this case, IBM? Um, and, and, how, and, and so you need a good strategy. Um, you also need to identify um, a leader for this organization who has a really good network um, because, you know, most of this talent, um, while I had a great uh, 
talent acquisition partner. Um, most of this talent did not come through her fishing around. It came through my network and then the people that I hired their network. Um, and so identifying someone with a lot of experience and a lot of respect and, and a great network is, is really, really important. And then the third piece is, which people kind of scratch their head and say, how did you do this at IBM, is, um, is when you start interviewing for these roles, you need to demonstrate agility in that process and really determine upfront how you're going to go from first contact, so first part of the interview, to offer in 10 days or less. Um, and, and I think if I had to pick three things, those are the more, most important three things. And then, then the other piece is you really got to focus on, and this is kind of three, three B, if you will, you really got to focus on diversity, right? Um, because diversity is really important in these teams because they, they bring, you know, a lot of different perspective and a lot of different experiences. And the best way I found to do that is not to mandate that you must hire, you know, 50% of this group or 40% of this group. It's to make sure that the diversity you're looking for is represented in the candidate pool. Look, I, a testament to that because we've had several of those quote unquote diversity candidates that have been on the podcast it, it, itself. A testament to you uh, looking around and, and representing the profile of our clients, but solid strategy, talent network, demonstrated agility uh, in, 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 in that process, if you will, and getting off, what you say, first contact, first content, I can't talk, first contact to offer in what, you say 10 days? 10 days or less. 10 days or less, yeah. And then uh, the plus one is, is diversity embedded through, throughout that. Very good. Appreciate that. You built, you built a good team. They helped my team a lot, so uh, greatly appreciate it. I'm sure it was difficult to uh, leave them behind, but uh, you're just not really leaving behind. You're leaving them in good hands. So. Yeah, Sounds it, it was, and, and we're going to do it again for our internal efforts, so that's all, that's all good. All right, so that's not exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. I'm going to jump right in. I want to talk a little bit about auto AI and some things of that nature that I know you have expert, expertise in. Look, the, here, here's the way I look at you. Mr. CDO, I'm going to affectionately, affectionately refer to you as Dr. Dobrin now. <laughs> and uh, an, ex, an expert in data science, you got practical experience. That's what I like about it because if you work at IBM, Monsanto, uh, Marshfield uh, Clinic, you know, several others. But here, I want to start with this one question. And, uh, you know, I'm sure this is not anything you're prepared for, but, you know, off the cuff, you, you helped me with a keynote at one of our largest insurance companies, which I greatly appreciate, by the way. Uh, you came in and uh, did an hour-long uh, talk. Uh, I did one the day before. It really helped me. And you came in and talked about um, data science and a lot of different aspects around it. And at one point in the dialogue, I was paying attention, uh, <laughs> as you can tell here. At one point in the dialogue, you were talking about uh, how difficult it was to get started or what your learnings were. And I think you were talking about your own experience in Monsanto, and you talked about creating like 150 models the first year, something like that. You, I, I'm going to have you fill in the blanks. And then you ask the yeah. audience, how many models do you think we, we created in year two? And I thought that was a good engaging uh, question. But I'm going to stop there before I answer that question, because I'd like you to, if you wouldn't mind, I thought it was a good story, and it really characterizes the challenges in data science today. Uh, but if you wouldn't mind, if you remember that story, I hope you do, I hope you recall the pitch, 
But if you do, I'd like to hear it, and I think the, the listeners would like to hear it too. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if there's some critical piece, and this, this gets back to, you know, some of the unique challenges of, of implementing data science or AI in the enterprise, right? And, and one of the challenges that, that most people that come from, from academics or kind of Kaggle-type competitions don't recognize is that, you know, if you look back to like when I did my PhD, we, we would build a model, we'd test it, we'd write a paper on it, and we would put it away unless we were going to do another paper. It never really got deployed. And so you don't really think about that the whole point of machine learning is uh, essentially it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to change the data so your model will stop working. Um, and if you don't have a way to effectively monitor that model and automatically retrain that model, um, you know, the point of that story was to talk about all of your valuable data science resources are going to get sucked into monitoring and retraining these models. And the end result of that is, is, is a few things. One, um, your data scientists are not going to be spending their time building new models, right? So they're, they're, they're not adding new value. They're just protecting the value you already created. Um, B, this is not a job that is engaging or fun or uh, interesting. Um, and so you're going to start bleeding data scientists. Um, C, you know, the, the, initial, the initial response to that is to start putting interns on it. So then none of those interns are going to come work for you because, you know, you're not going to get your new talent pipeline built up because it's not interesting, fun, or engaging. Um, and, and so the net of the story is, you know, as you start implementing these problems on the back end of building your models, you need to figure out how you're going to automate monitoring and retraining. Got that. Now, um, but, but could you continue a little further in terms of your experience of creating all these models? Uh, and then, uh, again, going back to the question that you ended with, how many models do you think we created in year two after we created like 150 yeah. or whatever the first year? Yeah, and, and, and you know, most many companies who are doing this for a long time have, you know, hundreds or thousands of models, and, and they got to this point a long time ago. And, and what ends up happening is that, you know, you, you start building all these models, you do a really good job uh, of building you know, in this case, this is 145 models, um, and the 25 people that, that worked on those, and I'll give the answer here, developed no models the following year because they were <laughs> spending all their time doing it. And that's a fairly consistent story if you talk to um, some of the more advanced uh, client, you know, Fortune 500 companies, especially in this space, is that, you know, you, you end up wasting these resources essentially, and then you end up having to find new resources because the people don't want to do this. So the interesting thing for me, obviously, when I, I knew what the answer was going to be, but it really struck me that you create all these models. Here's the way I interpreted it, I mean, in, in listening to your entire pitch, in, in addition to what you just said. But you said, look, you created these 145 models. Oh, great. They're all, you know, they're all set up. You start putting it in a pro, uh, production. As soon as you do that, by definition, the models start degrading. Then you have you know, all these, these folks, as you mentioned, these data scientists that are, are, then they have to start maintaining models and they're trying to you know, calculate data drift, all this stuff that's impacting the models. All of a sudden, they are not working on any more new models. They're trying to maintain the existing models that they have. And to your point, then all of a sudden they get disenchanted because they're like, this is not what I was hired for. I'm not, I just don't want to get in the maintenance mode. I'm here to discover and innovate, et cetera. All of a sudden you're, you're, you're two years into it 
half half the model. I don't know how many you remained in uh, deployment. You can maybe answer that at that point in time. And it's almost like it felt like that you're saying, "Hey, uh, we, we almost had to do a do-over." Yeah, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a, a do-over per se. Excuse me. It was, you know, all the models remained in production. They just all had to be retrained, right? So so the underlying models themselves were good so there was no no redoing um it was it was really an effort to understand how we could how we could really do this well and and it ends up that you know in in order to do the the monitoring it's actually a simple data science problem right it's a logistic regression you put some boundaries on it and you know when the model needs to be retrained the hard part is how do you automate the retraining Right, mm-hmm. and, and that's and that's something that um, you know we at IBM and 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 others have focused on. You know, when you build a data science platform, uh, you know that's got to be a key component. And, and then actually the other piece of that is you know if 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 the way you're deploying your models is you're sending these models over the fence to a dev team to rewrite them in Java or Scala, every time you retrain this model, the dev team's got to build a new AI, a new API. Right, and and inevitably, when you toss that model over the fence, the developer is going to look at the code and say, "Well, this data scientist doesn't know what the heck she's doing, right? Because this code is so non-performant that we have to rewrite it." They rewrite it, and then they break the model, and then they say, "See, I told you they don't know what they're doing because the model doesn't work, right?" And so every time you retrain a model, you got to go through that process. And so, in addition to automatically monitoring and retraining models, you need a way automatically deploy these models, right? And preferably as, as an API. And the API should should work regardless if it's if it's a, a batch or or real time scoring. There is the concept of AI for AI out there. In other words, AI designing for AI, AI optimi- optimizing AI, AI governing AI. Where are we really at? Can you give us a um, kind of a litmus test here or, or something to give us some guidance? Yeah, so I think there's a few a few levels of this, right? And we talked about a couple of them already. So one level is how do we use AI to automate away these tasks that no one wants to do, like monitoring and retraining, right? That is that is probably was the first application that we had of, of AI for AI, right? The second task was retraining. So we, we applied AI to monitor, and now we apply AI to, to retrain models. So not, not just necessarily the hyperparameter tuning and optimization, but we can also today even start getting into what's the most appropriate uh, new model you should apply to this if, if you need to. Um, and now we've also talked about it with auto AI, we've talked about automated um, feature development automated feature extraction, automated feature engineering. And so we're, and, and that is actually when you start looking at the actual process and that's part of actual data scientists, data science and machine learning is this, this feature uh, development, engineering and extraction. Um, that is the bulk of the work that really goes into um, building a machine learning model and that is now automated. Um, and so, and then we're also automating things like uh, bias detection, um, transparency, so understandability and explainability, um, and and we're also automating deployment. And so we've got that whole kind of life cycle automated. So that's a good kind of base of, of AI for AI. Now there's this, also this other 
probably more advanced piece of AI for AI, which is when will AI be able to develop net new math, right? And I think that's a little bit further out, um, and that's a, a much harder task to do. But with that said, that is something that IBM research and Microsoft research and places like MIT and Stanford um, are, all, are all working on, right? Because, you know, that's when a computer really can start doing some of the, the, the really difficult stuff that, that humans are doing today. Um, I, I don't think we're going to get there anytime in, you know, in the next three, five years, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, more than five years, but less than 10 years from now, we were starting to see the beginning of that. Very good. And by the way, for the listeners out there, I am not here to pimp products, <laughs> but uh, if you search for IBM and Auto AI, it's a product I'm responsible for. Um, and Seth had, you know, has had huge influence. He's the expert here. And we've also uh, got IBM research behind it. Pretty proud of it if you'd like to get more information. So Seth, do you have a few more minutes? I know we're running long. I'll be very quick, but I wanted to ask you a, a few you know, quick hit questions. Yeah, I do. All right, so before I, uh, before I restart, is there anything that was left unsaid that you want to get, make sure that uh, the listeners hear before we move on? It seems like with you, Seth, I got to tell you, it, you're very easy to talk to. Uh, I, I think you've been in here on the, the podcast the most with three times. Like, why is that the case? And it's because you're so easy to talk to. I, I don't even get to all the questions I need to get to. So thank you for that. And sometimes we retread yeah. old ground, but I think it's, it's good stuff. So again, appreciate it. Is there anything that we, you wanted to get to and you want to state before we, we move on? No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I think we talked about, you know, we, we touched on kind of that, that you need information architecture to, to do AI. Um, we talked about the things that you need to do to prevent, prevent AI from becoming a scam. Um, we talked about the fact that, you know, AI isn't magic, right? Um, well, and I think there's, there's a, another piece that you've talked about a few times in, in that when you start thinking about, you know, really operationalizing AI, um, in, in, in the most interesting cases, you're not going to build, train, and deploy the model in the same location, right? And so when you start thinking about hybrid environments, how do you, how do you build the model in one place and, and deploy it in another place? So a good example for this is, um, you know, there, there's lots of, of data related to fraud and, and banking that's, um, you know, that you would want to use to train all over the organization. And, and to do the really interesting ones, you need to train it on a GPU-enabled system. But when you want to start deploying that model, you really want to deploy it where the transaction are happen is happening, which in most cases in a bank is on a mainframe. And so how do you build your model in a cloud or on a, you know, a, a GPU-enabled box and deploy it on a mainframe. And I think that's, that, could be, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself, Al. Well, maybe we should do that. Um, I just wrote that down. We'll have it because we know we're going to have you on again. Can you say anything more about IBM's approach to the GPU-enabled system? Yeah. So, I mean, IBM uh, and NVIDIA have a partnership and with our, our power hardware um, and, and NVIDIA GPUs, you know, we have a, a great um, system with our Power9 um, system that outperforms um, any of the x86 platforms in terms of, of training um, and even uh, uh, scoring of models when you need to use a GPU system to score. Um, and we've also developed something um, which is 
basically how do you parallelize um, deep learning? Um, so how do you run deep deep learning models across, split them up and, and run them across multiple GPUs simultaneously so that you get fast, better results? Um, and obviously all of our tooling runs on, on either, you know, our Power 9 system or on Intel-based systems um, to leverage GPUs. And we have part of Auto AI is, is, is new nets, which automatically builds uh, deep learning models that you can deploy on, on GPUs as well. Very good. Uh, we need to dive into that, but uh, we won't do that today. Thank you so much. All right. So, you know, usually with the normal listener, you're abnormal. I think that's a positive thing. Um, yeah. We do a lightning round. You know this, but I'm done with that. Yep. You've graduated beyond the lightning round. Now I'm going to do what's called this or that. This right. is a grown-up version of Would You Rather, and you gotta you gotta All pick right. a side of the fence. You can't go well. I like it both or whatever. You know, be a man. Just give me what you what you what you think you you know what side you're on. All right, you ready? All right. Yep. All right. See, I'll go. I'll start. I'll start out easy. Are you a visual learner or a book learner? Visual. Visual. So you get into demos, you get into practice, and that's how you learn. Yep. Mac or PC? Oh, Mac. Yeah, that was easy. All right. Is it better to be a clicker or a coder? Coder. <laughs> now, I expected you to say clicker. No. Why do you say coder? Yeah, a lot more flexibility, um, a lot more choice, um, and it really enables you to dig into some of the things that you can't do when you're clicking. All right, fine. Got it. Python or R? Python. It, would you would you be, uh, if you had the opportunity, would you have a, a, an autonomic car? I mean, in other words, um, it, it drives itself, or you're always going to be owner-operator? I'm driving my own car. I hate driving. I'll, I'll take let a car drive me around. Wow, nice. All right. Would you rather? This is getting crazier. But would you rather? Um, you know, should we meet aliens for the first contact? Would it, Would you rather meet a robotic, an AI alien, or an organic alien? Uh, that's a tough one because aliens in general just you know when you think about from outer space. <laughs> They they scare me right because <laughs> we're making the assumption we're making the assumption that they're they're good intention right but you know are they? <laughs> and if if they anything to, like the human they, race, we know what's going to happen. It, it's going to be Cortez yeah. and the Aztecs. That's what it's going to be. And, and and if they got here and we didn't get to them, obviously we know they're more technical technologically advanced than us. So um, I, I guess with that context, I'm going to say I want a I want an AI alien because. I just they're, they're going to act more rationally than 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 a, a non AI. Hmm. We're going to have to debate that one. That's a good one over a bourbon. All right. So <laughs> sticking with the same thing theme, Terminator as AI, or do you prefer the Matrix as AI? I'm going to go with the Matrix. Nice. All right. A little Keanu Reeves action. I got it. All right. Um, a couple other ones just for fun. Index funds or mutual funds for you? Uh. Index funds. Oh, okay, that that's good. If you were saying mutual funds, I, I I'm going to have somebody on from a financial sector, and I'm going to debate mutual funds with them. So good, vodka or gin, or do you have a preference there? Tequila. Tequila. <laughs> okay. Uh, St. Louis or New York? New York. New York or Iowa? You lived in Iowa, didn't you? I did. Um, Iowa, Des Moines. Nice. All right. Baseball or football? 
uh, non-American football. Okay, I'll let you get by with that one. The last one, apple pie or apple crumbles? I got that from the producer. They wanted me to ask you this. Yeah, crumbles. <laughs> it's unanimous, I got to tell you, because everybody on the, on the Slack channel when we were debating this said crumbles. All right, very good, man. Thank you for playing along. I appreciate it. You're always great, and we will have you back on because we've still three times and we've only scratched the surface. So All thank right. you. I'll look for my jacket it. in the mail. All right, and we'll get it to you. Thank you guys so much. And for the listeners out there, again, rate us wherever wherever you listen to us because I think we're about everywhere at this point in time. And, again, if you have ideas, almartintalksdata at gmail.com. You know, reach out to us, and, and uh, we'll hit you back. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. Oh.